Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA with some tremendous news before we start today's pod. Registration is now open for Retail Now 2021, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. You can join the RSPA and Retail IT Channel leaders live and in person July 25th through 27th at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. Retail Now would have everything you've come to expect from the RSPA, plus several new features, including an education track about the emerging cannabis market, which is the subject of today's episode. That The interest in that market has been incredible, I'd say borderline overwhelming because of all the feedback that we've received. Also, safety is going to be a key theme of this year's Retail Now, and the RSPA is working closely with the Gaylord and will follow CDC and local guidelines and recommendations to ensure our priority remains the health and safety of attendees. For all the details, visit the Retail Now 2021 website site at gorspa.org slash retail now. Hope to see you there, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Trusted Advisor podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. Our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. I'm Jim Roddy, back with you again. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And in this episode, we'll focus on cannabis retail technology today with two RSPA members who are also experts in the cannabis vertical. Our first guest, Dan King, is the owner and president of New West Technologies, a retail-focused VAR headquartered in Portland, Oregon. New West launched in 1992, and they've been adapting with the times ever since, including the recent launch of Greenforce POS, a compliance, inventory control, security, and reporting seed to sale system designed specifically for the cannabis market. Hey, Dan, great to talk with you. Hey, hello there, Jim, and thanks for having me. No, no, always, always a pleasure to talk with you. You and I go all the way back to our uh, Business Solutions Magazine days when uh, you appeared at some of our events. So great to be talking with you, uh, if not in person, virtually. So thanks for being here today. Our second guest is Stephen Bergeron, the Vice President of Sales and Marketing from North America at APG Cashshore. Before joining APG in 2011, he was president of Prey Key Tech for five years and for nine years, the VP of Sales for TPG. Stephen has been very active in the RSPA as a speaker and as a member of several committees, and we also go back to the Business Solutions Magazine days. So, Stephen, always great to see you. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Dan, too. Great. And so we're coming from uh, opposite coasts. Uh, Stephen is in Massachusetts and Dan is in Oregon. So opposite sides of the country, but we're meeting here in the middle to help RSPA members. I should also mention that Dan and Stephen are both members of the RSPA cannabis community, a group of over 130 channel executives interested in this emerging vertical market. So, all right, let's get into our discussion today. So as I said at the outset, the focus of our discussion is cannabis retail technology today. And so this market has incredible long-term potential, right? You don't have to do too much research to figure out that that's the case. But sometimes the conversations about the vertical are just too aspirational and maybe not connected with the realities of the current market. So Dan, I want to start with you. And can you talk about the solution that you're selling today? Is there a typical technology bundle or typical bundles that you sell to dispensaries? You know, we try and uh, patternize it as much as we can, but ultimately, uh, like many of the retailers and in other industries, um, we do have to come up with some creative solutions from time to time. So uh, we're always out looking for emerging technologies and ways to, you know, um, make a better bundle. Uh, but we do have some, you know, specific gear that we like to use, you know, best of breed stuff like APG cash drawers. 
um, and, you know, various manufacturers that uh, have proven themselves over the years to put out quality products, you know, understand the distribution channels, have stock, uh, do good support, and things like that. So we try and find the best of breed uh, solutions and, uh, and try and stick with those and recommend those to our, uh, our potential clients. And if you don't mind me asking, what do you typically lead with? Like, because sometimes there are the lowest end where it's just a tablet and a cash drawer and maybe a receipt printer, and that's about it. Is that where you start, or do you tend to go upline with that from a technology bundle standpoint? When you're introducing technology to a cannabis dispensary, uh, where do you start and how high do you go? No pun intended, of course. <laughs> we, uh, we like to start high. Um, Frankly, you know, uh, we've always been a believer in uh, selling quality equipment as opposed to low-cost stuff. So while a lot of folks are using consumer class gear, we really do focus on industrial uh, equipment uh, where we can. And it uh, it can be a challenging conversation because, you know, with quality comes price. I mean, you really do uh, get what you pay for in this life. And uh, a lot of folks uh, need a little convincing about you know, why they should invest a little more uh, to to put a something that is better, a better product on the counter, you know, and, and until they have failures that creates, you know, problems for the customers or, or a lack of audit trail, uh, then sometimes they really don't understand why they should invest a little more up front. And, and that's a conversation we're happy to have. Uh, it's not, a, not a new one, uh, but these folks in this industry, you know, they are a little different. While, you know, it looks like many other industries to us, the, the culture is uh, quite a DYI culture. Um, so a lot of these folks are, uh, they're really trying to handle a lot of themselves. And, you know, after a while, they figure out that it probably is worth a little more investment in some, you know, better gear and some, you know, personnel, some companies that really understand the technology, know how to get in and get out and have a less impactful uh, experience on their on their business. So, we typically start with industrial uh, strength of gear uh, that we know is not going to fail. Uh, our, our reputation is on the line as well. So if something blows up while they're you know halfway through their day, uh, whether we manufactured it or not, it really doesn't make much difference to these folks. It looks like you know it looks like we sold them something that doesn't work, and that's that's what we try and avoid. So when we get into these conversations where people are talking about oh I could save five dollars on this or I could save ten dollars on that. You know, we, we really do try and just step it back a little bit and say, hey, you know, these are the reasons why you should uh, can, you know, consider investing a little more, uh, do it up front, do it once, and then let this stuff sit on the counter and run for years to come, as opposed to putting the, something that's a little less costly down and having to replace that on a more frequent, uh, more frequent schedule or ultimately, you know, have technical problems when you're trying to do business because that's, you know, that's the curse is if you've got a client in front of you and you can't ring up the sale for some reason or another, then that's just, uh, that's bad for everybody. Got it. Thank you for that. And it's interesting with, like you said, that DIY, they're going to tend towards, to lean towards consumer devices because that's what they know uh, typically, unless they have a, a different background coming to it. So, okay. So uh, beyond that, beyond that bundle. So Steve, you've also been engaged with the cannabis market for a while now as well. What are the technologies that you see that can be sold right now to dispensaries beyond the core bundle? So if I, if I look at the core bundle um, and, I, and I start to walk around a, a dispensary, a lot of digital signage. So do I have digital signage in my portfolio? A lot of people, hmm, people, payroll. Do I have a payroll package that I'm attached to that I can deal with? 
a lot of customers. Do I have loyalty? Do I have repeat customers? I know, um, you know, and, and within a quick circumference of my house, there's five or six different dispensaries, you know, on the Rhode Island border, one on either the west side and the north side of the Rhode Island border to my house. Um, I've got one in town and another one opening up five miles down the road. So there's four dispensaries within a nine iron. So what's the loyalty? What's going to bring me back time and time again? So look at look at a loyalty package somewhere in there. And I think you even had a session uh, on the uh, public plug for your uh, for your monthly roll call, Jim. But you know you had a session on loyalty and 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 that software need and demand as you go forward. I think, you know, payments coming down the road at some point, yeah, have that in your back pocket. It's not there today. Um, the scheduling, the payroll we kind of touched on, this is a cash dominated industry right now. And I think you can be looking at some level of, you know, cash management. It takes a lot of time to count all of the cash at the end of the day. With a lot of cash, there also comes maybe some discrepancies at the end of the day. You're missing a couple of bucks here and there. How do you get control of your cash and, and know what's happening? Um, I attended a conference recently, uh, virtual, with Linda Sutterith of Epson, and, and she talked about Hass and SAS is actually a service. It's not just a payment method. If the guy's got cash and capital and he can pay for all of this hardware that Jim talked about and we're talking about right now, that's great. But if he's a startup and he doesn't have cash flow yet, is there a better way for payment? So do you, as a as a VAR into this space, have a HASS and SAS offering? Is the ISV you're working with there is, um, you know, are, are they SAS compatible and, and such? And we do have one reseller uh, out, of the, out of California that's actually doing a lot with RFID through the because of the need with seed to sale, RFID. So do you have that capability within your offering right now? And uh, it's it's not just what can I do tomorrow when payments is avail are available. There's a whole stream of solution selling that you can take advantage of. And as the trusted advisor, I love the title of the interview, you can just walk the guy this individual through what it's all about. And I think Dan's right. These are a lot of self-starters. There are a lot of independents. They are do-it-yourself. The message at, a, at almost every single one of your monthly calls is think retail first. These guys know cannabis. They're probably growers at one side or another. And the dispensary is a means to the end. They don't know retail. So what are all of the things they can be doing? Now, the big boys that are getting engaged, that have multiple locations, sure, they know all of this, but where am I going and who am I talking to? I can come in and build a longstanding relationship so that when the, when the payments do come, that's just another, another tap on into the solution I'm already giving. Yeah, and I want to talk about payments in a second, but Dan, I want to go back to you. Some of the technologies that uh, Stephen brought up, digital signage, payroll, loyalty, uh, cash management, uh, potentially even RFID. 
how do you go about, if you don't mind me asking, broaching those conversations with the dispensary prospects you talk to? My guess is you don't go through the whole, here's all these things we can do and it's going to be way more expensive than something else, but trust me, it's going to be fine. Like, how do you walk your way into that conversation, if you don't mind me asking? Well, it's a great question, and uh, it's changed considerably over the last year here with the COVID situation because uh, one of the things that I've always liked to do is do business in person. And, you know, my uh, my old, old man taught me is you got to spend a little money to make some money. And, and one of the ways that uh, our philosophy at New West is is that we go visit people anytime we can. Uh, we get on a plane, go wherever we got to go, uh, meet them where they're at. So we understand uh, what their environment is. Uh, you know, we all know uh, and miss, <laughs> of course, shaking people's hands. Uh, but, you know, for us, it has always proved true that if you can get in front of somebody once, you know, even just once, uh, shake your hand, look them in the eye, then you, you get a much better feel for who you're dealing with. And you really have a much different kind of a relationship over the long term. And that's what we're really focused on. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> the long way around this is I used to go and, and you talk about RFID, you know, well, eh, let me just tell you about remote, you know, radio frequency IDs, blah, blah, blah. It, you know, you get rid of the acronyms. You just put a device in somebody's hand and watch them wave it over a tag and boom, it counts this thing. And then all of a sudden you don't have to talk so much. You know, you let, you let some of the technology prove itself by putting it in people's hands. And that's one of my favorite things to do because, you know, I mean, it's, one of the reasons we're in this industry is we're, you know, at New West, we're just a bunch of geeks and we love playing with computer stuff. And that's, that's what gets people excited. And it's hard to describe that or, uh, you know, and Lord knows talking about payroll software, not an exciting topic. Okay. You know, some of these, some of these things, you, you could talk to your blue in the face and it doesn't really matter if they you know, hold value or not, but if you can get in front of them and get their attention, you know, get it, put, put something in their hand, they can touch, feel, scan a barcode, scan an RFID tag, you know, see a see a cash store that counts the cash in it automatically. Then all of a sudden, uh, you get a whole different level of attention, and then you want to prove yourself with some credibility. You know, and that's that's part of the game. Is if you're going to be a trusted advisor, they've got to believe number one, you know what you're doing. Number two, that you're there uh, in their best interest, and you're gonna you're gonna lead them down a path that's gonna you know have some ROI, prove some better customer experience or in some way benefit their organization, their people and their business and their customers. Um, so, it, you know, we don't certainly start out talking about the entire array of things that people could use to run their business, uh, especially since we don't focus on some of those. But uh, we like to target the ones uh, up front and early that we can uh, get their attention on and prove to them, hey, this is one of the reasons why uh, us as opposed to another organization are going to be better to do business with because we've got the experience. You know, we are professional, we do care, uh, and we're going to be here no matter what happens. So when the, when the times get hard, uh, you know, we're not going to turn our backs. We, you know, we run 24 hours a day. We're, we're excited for problems because uh, that's, you know, keeps it interesting. Yeah. So it, it's, it's yeah. pretty tough to go through the array of it, but uh, we, we find that we can get, uh, a better attention span out of people and more trust if we can uh, sort of show them some stuff they haven't seen, especially if you can put it in our hands, let them try it. So show versus tell, demonstrate versus describe. So I, I like everything you said there, except you said payroll software isn't exciting. My next seven questions were all focused on payroll software, so I'm going to have to totally change. <laughs> our focus. 
for the rest of this. <laughs> no, that's not true. Stephen, let, let me go back to you. And so, because a big reason we're having this conversation today and hosting this podcast mm -hmm. is because you reached out to me after one of those RSP cannabis community meetings that was very payment focused. And so I guess I should explain first for those who aren't cannabis experts. So federal law currently limits how banks can engage with cannabis providers, right? Like other retailers, you can just walk in, swipe your credit card, dip your credit card. You can't do that quite like that in the, in the cannabis industry. So that's why it's very much cash centric. So Stephen, can, do you mind hopping back up on your soapbox here and sharing with our audience of VARs and ISVs why they need to look beyond payments in the cannabis market today? I think he touched on it earlier, but I think it's, a, it's an important point about why VARs should be investigating this market today, even though there isn't that payment residual as we speak. Well, I, I think Dan has touched on it, um, you know, in, in his last couple of points that he's made, and, and certainly I did in the beginning as well. Um, I did some work with a uh, with a large payments company a number of years ago, and and they had a whole plethora of product offerings that I agree with Dan. I'm not going to go in and say, let me tell you about the 72 line card items that I can I can come in and talk to you about. But their magic number was three or four services. So if I can get my retail prospect, whether it's cannabis or whatever, today it's cannabis, to use three or four of the services that I'm offering, my stickiness of getting unhooked is I get stickier and stickier with every product I put on. But I'd also don't want to sound like a machine gun as I'm talking to this individual. Target the top four or five things. And then when payments become available, it just becomes part of your natural dialogue. You're solving his immediate problem and you're probably not going to go get shop. There's so many payment options out there today that a retailer, we're we're training the retailer how to shop on price, whether we think about it or not. So what am I gonna do as the reseller to build loyalty to me and my trusted advisor attitude? I loved everything Dan had to say. Selling through virtual rooms is probably one of the most painful things I've had to teach myself. Thank goodness I'm old and I've been around long enough that most guys say, Where's your bow tie? Well, it's casual. I'm working from home these days. <laughs> but if if I can get, you know, that trust, they're not going to shop. So let's talk about your immediate need and point of sale. Let's talk about the federal government's and the guidelines about seed to sale. That's not me just trying to to sell you more kit. It's there's a real requirement. You got to keep track of what's going on or Uncle Sam gets a little irritated with you. You know, what are the state and local, if I start to build that rapport and that I've now got a little bit more, a little bit more, and all of a sudden I've got that three or four, hey Steve, yeah, you know, what can I be doing about payments? I just hear that, you know, I can now put money in a bank instead of in my mattress or whatever the case may be. Now it ju it's just business as normal. But I, you got to start today and don't all of a sudden run up and say, oh, wow, look at all of these credit card transactions that I get the process. You're going to get locked out if the guy in front of you has done his job and now owns the account. Yeah. Yeah. Because once payments hit this industry, man, are the vultures going to come right and be knocking on the door of all these cannabis folks. So Every bottom feeder known to man will be out on the street. 
So it's uh, sell solutions now, become the trusted advisor, then they're going to turn you for payment processing, and then you can reap the residual income from that. So Dan, before yeah. we take a quick uh, commercial break, how do you approach payments with your cannabis prospects and customers? Can you share with us how you talk to them about whether it's cash management or electronic payments from a near-term, long-term perspective? Well, as you know, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, right? So we do a lot of work in the payment space and work with the, most of all the the real processors in the country and, and write tons of integration. So uh, it's a it's a fun topic for uh, us to talk about. For these cannabis retailers, it's not so fun because they can't, you know, leverage a lot of it. Uh, but there are technologies that they can leverage today that uh, don't fall under the, you know, the federal uh, quagmire there. Uh, most, you know, importantly is being able to use debit uh, because the debit cards ride on different rails than the Visa MasterCard transactions, uh, and it qualifies as an ACH transaction, so it's actually like cash. And those are the type of payment technologies that these folks can actually use today uh, and not have to worry about it getting ripped out from underneath them because a lot of those, a lot of these folks have seen that happen throughout the last set of years where somebody will come in and they got a whiz bang thing, you know, you can take credit cards, we'll just We'll just tell them you're somebody else and, you know, so on and so forth. Well, you know, the truth always comes out. So when, you know, you're halfway through the day and all of a sudden your credit cards don't work anymore and they've, you know, they've disabled your account because they figured out you're in an industry that's not legitimate by their, by their views. Um, so that's one of the things we do talk about is, okay, well, what can we do today? You know, and, and then for the devices and for the solutions that we could put into place today, Will those be able to just be turned on and enable credit cards when everything is legit? So we wouldn't want to put something in that is only going to support what we could do today and isn't sort of future-proofed to make sure, you know, and then next year when this thing clears or whenever it happens, oh, now you got to buy another device. Now you got to do something else. Uh, we try and put something in that says, okay, well, it'll work for you today. And then, you know, when, this, when we can, we'll flip the switch and boom, it'll just turn on and you'll be able to take advantage of some of these new these new technologies. Got it. So open open their eyes, open their minds to what's available today, but then also future-proof it so you don't have to say, guess what, we have to start over. It just is, is more flipping a switch. So interesting. That's an interesting and inevitably, we've had so many conversations in this industry about about payments because uh, it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a startup entrepreneurial environment, and uh it's really interesting to see all the different people from all the different backgrounds that are that are swirling around in this space. Uh, you know, the conferences back when we could have conferences were really fantastic and very well attended, and you'd meet such a large volume of very very interesting people. And with that comes a lot of people's ideas. I mean, we've heard you know use cryptocurrency to buy stock that turns into a gift card that you know you can. <laughs> You can turn around and, and I mean like these multiple phases of ways to create value somewhere that can be leveraged at the store. You know, here's a payment app that you can sign up for and so on and so forth. And uh, some of them are very creative, very interesting. I mean, of course, anytime you get to talking about cryptocurrency, you got my attention. But, uh, but ultimately, it really comes down to what's going to be convenient, what's actually going to get adopted and what's usable. You know, there's a lot of things in life uh, we've tried that uh, just came and went. You know, like the, the Betamax, uh, you know, it just turns out that uh, it wasn't a bad technology. It just didn't get adopted, VHS-1. So 
Uh, that's 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 one of the things that I find really interesting is is hearing some of the the different pitches that these guys are getting from folks that are just trying to sort of run around the outside of the edges of this industry, uh, enabling payments somehow. Hey, and and if folks are thinking, boy, is that really true that folks go in and sell based on what we'll just list you as something else? I remember talking to a reseller a few years back, and they were explaining that to me, like, oh yeah, I make a lot of money from payment processing through this illicit thing that I'm doing, but I list them as a whatever, ha, 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 don't tell anybody. I remember being like, really? Like, A, to be unethical in your business practices is a problem. And then to brag about it, like, what? I mean, don't get me started. I mean, it was just, it was I must say, <laughs> unbelievable to me, but it was one of those things of like, wow, there are some ways to do business, but you'd be doing business looking over your shoulder uh, on a regular basis. So I like, Dan, how you say, like, be upfront with folks, don't tell them. And, and that's going to differentiate you from the folks who are uh, the bottom feeders running around by by you being upfront and, and good with them. So, all right, I feel like I need to pause here on my own to cool down uh, after reliving that story about somebody not telling the truth. But let's pause here for the benefit of our listeners and our viewers to let them know an RSP membership has never been more valuable or affordable. Annual memberships for VARS start at just $250 a year for dozens of high value services, including access to a legal advisor, a security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor, exclusive e-learning programs for the RSP Academy, discounts on business services, and a college scholarship program for the families of RSP members. Vendors and software developers can benefit from an RSP membership as well through introductions to VAR and ISV members and by showcasing their solutions through the exclusive RSPA Solutions Center. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, want to say thank you to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. <clears throat> our platinum sponsors are Blue Star and Shift4 Payments. Our gold sponsors are Heartland and ScanSource. And with this being a special episode sponsored by the cannabis community, we want to thank the sponsors of the RSP cannabis community, Blue Star, Star Micronics, 420 MSP, Marijuana Venture Magazine, Touch Dynamic, Partner Tech, Epson, and which one did I forget? Begins with an A, I think. APG. A- A-P- APG Cash. I didn't actually forget them. I intentionally yeah, left I, them. Just yeah, you're just a clever kind of guy. What can I say? Have it written here. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't forget it. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. Finally, don't forget to save the date for Retail Now 2021 in person, July 25th through 27th in Nashville. Retail Now is where the industry meets and where you can do live demos as well instead of doing it over uh virtually like we talked about earlier so all right so back to the cannabis market and dan if we can go back to you i'm hoping each of you can share with our audience how you first engaged with this market and if you don't mind if you can give kind of the longer version of your story because i'd like for you to paint the picture for folks who are outside of this industry how did you get from where you were back then to where you are today so dan if you can go first please yeah well i mean it, to me, it's kind of an interesting introduction to the industry because it's it's obviously very young, uh, and and we started watching it. I mean, you could see it coming for many years, and then we started watching it probably four or five years ago now, uh, trying to determine you know when was a point where we can get into it and have value, um, because we don't really play in the super small low end market like we're a square or a. A, a toast or, you know, these little tablet-based applications live for the most part. And the, and the folks were, you know, they, they're just they're, entrepreneurs, you know, not as experienced as, as, as some of the folks we normally deal with. 
So we just started watching and waiting. And then, uh, uh, oddly enough, we had a hardware manufacturer uh, call me up and say, hey, we're going to be in Portland at this, at this show. Would you guys like to come down and, and to take a look? And they'd like, you know, we sell their, their hardware code scanners, uh, which are fantastic, by the way. Um, and then, uh, we'll be in Portland and we'll shake your hand. And, and by the way, we're going to have this booth down here at this show. So, uh, we wandered in there and, and started to engage with the folks and, and see what was going on and, and quickly realized that it's, it, it was moving a little faster and coming a little farther than we thought. So we put up a program, started going to trade shows, uh, started doing some outreach, um, you know, working through various channels, uh, introducing ourselves to the various software publishers. Uh, finding the hardware folks that uh, wanted to engage in the market. You know, as you might imagine, some of them were a little hesitant. Some folks and organizations have, you know, moral qualms or whatever, you know, so there's some of them that were like, no, we can't touch that. It's against our, you know, way of life or whatever. So you find the ones that are, you know, there to do business and excited about wherever that business comes from. Uh, and so we paired up with some hardware manufacturers and started working through some of the software guys and, and just sort of immersed ourselves in the industry and then uh, go to see people, right? Meet them at the show. And we've all been to shows and there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of ideas that get exchanged. There's a lot of promises potentially or, or uh, thoughts about how you can continue the relationship. Everybody goes home and you got a stack of business cards on your desk. that sits there for six months and nobody ever talks about it again. So we, uh, we tried to say, okay, well, let's find a you know, better, more, uh, high touch way to follow through on these situations. And, uh, basically just started, uh, finding people where they were at. Like I said, you know, we run into somebody who says they're going to open a store or they're open a store, got a store. Uh, we try and go visit them and say, Hey, I'm going to be in town. I'd like to stop in, say hi. Uh, let me meet your people. Let me meet you, see your store, see your operation. Uh, and sort of just forge, forge those relationships because it really is about the relationships. It's not about the gear or the software. Uh, it's about people and the only way to get to the bottom of it is to, you know, build those relationships and have them last a long time, you know, be there early, uh, and stay late, uh, you know, learn what you can and try and provide value, uh, for these folks. Cause, um, everybody's trying to learn it together. You know, it, uh, it's pretty creative to see, you know, all the different factions that are involved from, you know, people that are putting the seeds in the dirt all the way to where they're, you know, scanning barcodes and RFID tags and, you know, taking credit cards. And yeah. so and can you learning, tell me, how learning did, about how that was important. How did Greenforce POS come out of this, that cannabis software that you're rolling out? Well, we saw uh, a lack of a sophisticated solution in the market, uh, to be frank with you. Most of the software solutions out there are, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm sure they're great packages. They're, they're shiny. They run on tablets. They can ring up a sale great. But uh, once you get past compliance and once you get past just being able to, you know, sell some weed, then these retailers need to uh, mature because the, the, <clears throat> the market sort of, it goes legal and the, the market goes up and up and up and then they hit a saturation point. Uh, it's just like a lot of other vices, tobacco, you know, alcohol at some level that's, you know, you're going to sell about that much and it's, you know, go up and down with the holidays, so on and so forth. Uh, but you're going to reach a point of saturation. And then that's when these retailers are uh, looking to diversify and looking to add products in their lineup and, you know, find a way to get that average sale up, add more tickets, items to the ticket. And uh, <clears throat> these packages 
they don't really bear the sophistication to give them the business intelligence that they need. The reporting is not, uh, it's not there. You know, like we were showing people uh, reports that we, I don't know how any retailer would ever run a business without uh, from our perspective after, you know, 30 years in retail. Uh, and these folks are just amazed, like this is some sort of a, a gift from the heavens that a solution could to, could provide this type of rich information, uh, you know, with a touch of a button. So uh, we realized quickly that, you know, the, the lack of inventory control, the lack of merchandising, lack of reporting, uh, lack of integration with other common business tools uh, was out there. And thought, okay, well, this is where we live. Why don't we jump in? Got it. All right. Interesting. I like how, you know, you just initially got engaged. It wasn't like some part of a three-year plan or five-year plan or something like that. And that's something that I always have learned from the successful resellers in this space. They engage, they try, they test, they measure, they adapt, and then they go in and differentiate and just keep doing that over and over and over. The business isn't going to necessarily come to you, right? You had to go to that trade show. You had to engage uh, with them. So appreciate that, Dan. Uh, uh, Stephen, how did you get uh, involved in the cannabis vertical? What was What was your path? Not so dissimilar to Dan, um, but we are a little bit different in that we are 100% of our sales at APG come through the indirect sales channel. So whether it's a large OEM partner, our distributor, or a small VAR, we do not sell direct to the end users. So as cannabis started to come up and, and bubble up, we started to attend the local trade shows. Uh, one of the first ones we went to, I said, yeah, I'll go to Boston, but I'm not really sure. So in walks a 60-year-old guy, and you know, I'm dressed like I normally would, and it was like, holy cow, I need to go out and buy a new pair of jeans and some sneakers because I am, you know, business casual is overdressed, first off. So there was the rude awakening. And uh, you walk the floor. And it's just like any other trade show I've ever attended. It's only different. You know, there's a lot of technology. Okay, well, that's a trade show. So you start to talk to people about what's the technology. There's POS. And like Dan explained, so I've got to meet a whole bunch of new VARs. I have to meet a whole bunch of new ISVs that are dealing in cannabis. Yes, a retail transaction is a retail transaction, but what is the hardware that you're using? I love Dan's opening at the beginning of this. You know, I, I lead with the best and I lead with the heavy duty stuff because if I sell cheap and it breaks, oh my gosh. So we started walking these local shows and started to just talk to them and bring them up to speed you really need something a little bit more robust than a cigar box. Um, and that's what a lot of these guys were using was very low end equipment because it was cheap because they, they knew cannabis, they didn't know retail. And, and you start to educate them on retail little by slow. And that's how it started. We did Boston, we did New York, we did somewhere else. And the next thing you know, we're getting, now you start signing up at booths and you get all kinds of people saying, hey, come to Vegas. And it's like, oh man, Vegas is dangerous enough for a normal trade show, a cannabis trade show in Vegas. I'm not sure I'm old enough. But you know, we went out to Vegas and that just flipped the switch for us. Was that for MJ BizCon? That's the yeah, biggest cannabis that con. Was, right, yeah. I mean, it, 
it's up there with, you know, doing Comdex back in the day. I mean, it was a circus. It really and truly was. But, you know, Dan mentioned a couple of things that's, that's spot on. When you walk MJ BizCon, you're going through the multi-million dollar growing facilities that these guys are creating. There is a ton of money in this industry to grow. There's a ton of merchandise in this industry. Hemp, anything you can think of, is out there. But then on the retail side of it, in the product side, there's pipes, there's humidors, there's T-shirts, there's everything else you can think of. So there's that whole merchandising aspect. It's not just about the seed to sale. It's everything else that's behind it. This is this is retail. The product just happens to be called cannabis. And that's what we've got to get our head around as resellers in bars. This is just another venue for retail. It's no different than a tobacco store. It's no different than an you know alcohol. It's no different than a C store. It it's just another retail product. Now, there's some complexities with the government right now but it's legal this isn't illicit this is legal and and that's what we have to wrap around and i get we actually sat down with our attorneys when we first got into it and said okay the federal government not endorsing you know could we should we and i mean we paid a lot of money to get permission from our lawyers which you never get permission from a lawyer to do anything you know they walk a fine line wiggle waggle their, their but, job is for you to not get sued right so they will yeah. tell you and don't it do was, anything right it was complicated but at the end of the day this is just retail and it's a different product than we've ever sold before but it's the same cash drawer with the same nuances uh, you just got to help educate that end consumer. So it's yeah. uh, we've got two or three business development guys that run all over the country doing hospitality BDM, cannabis BDM, specialty retail BDM. It's just another BDM function now. Now it took us three years to get to that point where it's just another vertical we sell. But it got truly it. is just a vertical at this point in our estimation. And it sounds like it's that way with Dan too. There's uniqueness, but there's uniqueness to hospitality. Yeah, I, I appreciate you guys sharing those stories. And also we're talking about the opportunity and all that. But if we can also talk about the obstacles. And so, Dan, first, can you talk about what have been the biggest obstacles you've encountered along the way? And maybe what are the biggest obstacles for you now currently uh, in this market? Maybe in general, what are the biggest obstacles you see for the retail IT channel related to the cannabis vertical? Well, it's it's an immature channel, you know, and... That means that you got to spend a lot of time educating people, um, and that can that can take a lot of time. It can take a lot of investment, and it's like marketing. You know, if we could only figure out which 50% worked, and you know, because the other 50% is all wasted, uh, you never know. Uh, so that part of it is 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 you know has made it a little bit difficult because everybody's learning together, uh, and there's a lot of information and there's a lot of different approaches. Uh, and like I mentioned, these guys, a lot of them really are DYI, uh, and they don't really understand, you know, why they should spend more time. Like you said, 
you know, Steven's talking about walking the floor and the, the amount of money these put these guys put into these grow facilities, okay? They buy land, they put up buildings, they buy heavy equipment, they I mean there's all sorts of specialty gear and then you know there's a there's a I mean it's it's just a it's a free for all of equipment. These, these trade shows like MJ Biscop, it's just amazing the stuff that they you know you, you see that goes into all this. And they spend millions and millions on it and they you know they don't blink an eye. You know, they'll buy a truck for 80 grand. And they're, okay, well, we got to have a truck, right? And you tell them, okay, why don't you spend 30 grand on a point of sale system? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can go to Best Buy and get an Acer laptop for like 300 bucks. So, you know, what are we talking about here? And, and, and that's, that's been a real challenge, you know, because they just haven't gotten to the point where they realize that that piece of the process and that part of the thing, well, that's where a lot of the money comes from. And yeah. it's important that it goes smooth. It's important that you've got an audit trail. It's important that your people can, you know, you give them tools that help them do their job more effectively and provide a good customer experience. Uh, and that there are some level of sophistication so that you can entice those customers back, like the loyalty programs, you know, the ways that you can do outreach, uh, you know, even, even the idea of uh, how the receipt looks. You know, I mean, most of these stores, they don't even hand out receipts or offer a receipt. And, you know, I don't know, in my personal life, I'm not real big on receipts, but some people like them and they keep track of their expenses. And, and then, so, and if somebody gives you one and it looks like something comes out of a gas pump, it's not, it, it gives you the wrong impression. Everything that you hand a customer is, is selling, it's marketing. And so making sure that you're, you know, something as simple as a receipt, it's got the store logo on it. The fonts are big enough. It's it, it's it's appealing, you know. Uh, and not that anybody's going to get too excited and jump up and down and dance over a receipt, but the experience it, it goes to show, and that's what brings people back. Like like Steve said, you know, there's uh, for my office, there's you know half a dozen weed shops within a stone's throw. You know, who who who's going to go to which one, and who's going to go back to which one in that area? That's the experience that they have, the people that they come across the product that they get and, uh, and some sort of enticement to make sure that they go back to this, you know, that store. So there's a lot to it. And I think you're right from a customer experience standpoint, right? No one's going to get their receipt and then go and say, Oh my gosh, I'm going to frame this on my wall. Like this is the best receipt I've ever seen. But if they, if you don't have the option of a receipt or it's, you know, problematic or junky, that's going to leave a different impression on somebody. So that's oftentimes where, right, you don't have to like totally wow the customer, but at the same time, you never want to frustrate uh, the customer or, or make them look bad. So well, we're running up against the clock. I have two more questions for, for both of you. Uh, one is a cannabis question. And so Stephen, if you can start with this, and this is kind of helping me uh, in a way. So um, we're working, the RSP is on an ebook and a retail education session, mm-hmm. and they're both titled Seven Elements of a Successful Cannabis VAR. All right, so three of those elements are uh, one of them is PDR, person directly responsible for the cannabis vertical, having a PDR on your team for cannabis. Another one is cannabis industry activists. And then a third element is patience and unrelenting commitment to the cannabis market. Can you take one of those and share your thoughts on those elements, how important it is for a successful bar in the cannabis industry? Again, PDR for the cannabis vertical, being a cannabis industry activist, uh, or uh, patients' unrelenting commitment to the cannabis market. Stephen first, and then then Dan, and I'll take notes. So this can help me with the ebook. Okay. Um, my initial feedback is they're all three are great, but if I had to vote for one, I'm going to say PDR. And the PDR 
must be at the executive level. Because by de facto, that executive will most likely have the patience that you're also going to need as you're maturing in this marketplace. Um, the executive will also be able to hold everybody underneath in the organization accountable. We as a company are making a commitment to cannabis, dot, dot, dot. That means we're going to allocate time and resources to make our software cannabis friendly, whatever that is. We are going to target this many calls a day, a week, a month versus giving it to a sales guy, an IR one. I'm going to go where the, where the revenue is right now because I got a quota. I got a responsibility to my family. I got a responsibility to my company. And if all I'm doing is chasing the next deal, which is what a sales guy is supposed to do, cannabis is a hard sell right now. I think Dan did an awesome job laying it out. And you talked about it in the very beginning. It's going to be there. It'll be another standard vertical in another year to three, maybe four to five. Sales guys are coin operated, which is awesome. That's what that we need that. But you need the executive to take ownership and say, no, guys, this is our new and emerging market that we're going to go attack. And I got your back. We're going to do this together as a team. So I think it's PDR and it's got to be an executive leader within the company. Otherwise, you're going to, when the hard get, when it gets hard going, you're going to go back to, to normal. You need that executive support to backfill, which by definition then brings patience and tolerance and understanding right. sometimes. Makes, makes sense. Yeah, it depends on the executive, doesn't it? Um, Sometimes. No, good. I, I appreciate that. Thanks for the, the details about it. Dan, which one of those do you want to uh, break down? PDR, activist, uh, patients. Which of those three? Well, part of what I just garnered out of what Steve said is, you know, if you have to break them into three, that's fine. But really, uh, in the beginning, you kind of wind up with, if you've got executive sponsorship, if 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 the decision is as an organization we're going to strategically go chase this market, and we're not just going to run around like a blind dog in a meat factory taking a bite out of everything we bump into. We're going to take a methodological, we have a method and take an approach, and and you know, and then so you got to have the sponsorship, you got to have the strategy, you know. With that, you've got to have enthusiasm. Nobody sells to a guy who or you know buys something from somebody they don't like or doesn't have energy or doesn't appear to know what the heck they're doing, you know, unless they're just buying, you know, toilet paper or something. Right. So when you sell into an industry and you're supposed to be a professional and, and have knowledge and to, to build that trusted advice, you've got to have the energy, you've got to have the enthusiasm. Um, and then, you know, Lord knows it's hard to keep up. You gotta be, you gotta be willing to take your hits. Right. I mean, the, the old adage, the, the job starts when they say no. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you've got to have patience. You've got to realize that things always take twice as long. It costs twice as much as you want them to. And, uh, and, but if you do it right and you sort of stay the course, um, you know, you walk down the hill, right, instead of running down the hill, then, you know, over the long term, you wind up in a much better spot uh, and, and people trust you. And it's about being there. Um, it's like the old trade show situation, right? And, Lord knows we've all done a lot of trade shows and some of them are, 
are fun, like the cannabis industry shows are pretty fun. Cryptocurrency shows, very fun, because they're enthusiasts and not just business people, okay? And so it blends in uh, more excitement. But the fact is that you show up the first year, nobody knows who you are. You know, you show up the second year, oh, okay, kind of a little bit, or I remember you a little bit. And the third year is when people, you know, sort of really remember who you are. And they start to, it cements in their head. And, you know, the idea that you're an organization that's out there to support their industry, support their their folks, uh, sort of gels. And that's when, you know, you can really sort of start to see the, the wheels hit the ground and start gaining traction. So it does take that, you know, that long-term patience and strategic point of view to keep showing up, keep spending money, keep spending time. Uh, you know, I mean, it's hard. It, it takes time away from your family. It takes money out of your wallet. And, uh, you know, not everybody's as receptive as you want them to be. So uh, you just got to keep, uh, you know, dripping the water on the rock, right? And uh, and so, I, I, if you know, we're a small organization. So for us, I didn't have like three or four people that I could assign to this project. Basically, I just took, uh, you know, myself, I started out uh, as the leader and thought, okay, well, let's take a look at this and see if it's worth pointing our, fo- our folks at and investing our money. And, and very quickly, it became uh, apparent that it <clears throat> certainly is. I mean, it's a, it's a huge opportunity that never existed. It's a, literally a greenfield opportunity. And, uh, and so then, you know, I, I brought in another uh, one of our business uh, uh, development guys, uh, George Mushi, I think you guys met him. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, said, hey, George we're going to was a guest on our start. podcast uh, recently. Yeah, episode 36, I believe. Yeah, so we're going to, you know, chase this down. You go to that show, I'll go to this show. This one's big enough. We'll both go. You know, we'll we'll swirl around, meet the people, build the relationships. And, and so I think, uh, in a way, I think of all those as being the same in some positions when you start out. But then as you go forward, they're all mission critical. You know, you've got to have sponsorship at the executive level. You've got to have people that are out there learning and churning the industry and understanding where it's going and, and trying to make strategic decisions and offer information about what happened that didn't hasn't happened before. And then ultimately, you, you always got to be ready to, you know, bang your head against the wall for a while uh, and, you know, and take your take your shots. No, I, I like how you said that. Actually, earlier today, I was in a meeting talking about, you know, it's like dripping, you know, water onto a rock, like this isn't one called business. I also talked to a member earlier today, and we talked about every worthwhile endeavor has a perseverance stage, and you never know when that perseverance stage is over. So I like those phrases, but also I never heard before, but I will use it, because those watching on YouTube could see Steve and me beam ear to ear when you said a blind dog in a meat factory. I am definitely going to try to work that into uh, I, I wrote it down, so I own that. I'm going to own that after today. <laughs> it's all yours. It's all yours. I got it from me, my old man. Tremendous. Well, God bless your old man for that. So, all right, we are right up against the clock. So uh, this last question, if you could answer in like 30 seconds or less, Stephen first and then Dan. So we love us and our guests from time to time. Can you recommend for our audience a book to read, an online resource to follow, podcast to listen to that will help them improve their organization? Uh, Stephen first. I'm going to give you two traction by Gino Wickman. Take your entire corporation on it. And everything we just talked about with cannabis, it will it'll allow you to free up the time you need to go spend it. Number one, number two, the Challenger sale by Dick by Dixon. Take your entire sales organization because it 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 changes from selling feeds and speeds into into solution selling at a different level. Understand the market. And when you come up to the next guy, 
talk about what you know about the market and how your product helps fix those problems. Don't lead with the product, lead with the problems and the products take care of themselves. Fabulous, those are two good ones. Traction uh, and Challenger Sale. Dan, uh, do you have a, a resource you'd recommend? I could not pick a better number one book than Traction. Um, I mean, for those of us who've read it and, and we, we use that in our, our organization, uh, it's, it's a life changing, you know, and even after being in business for 20 something years, when we picked it up and started to, to work that program, uh, it, it immediately had uh, uh, benefits and, and, and advantages for the organization. Uh, as a second one, I, I don't, I'm not a big book reader, but I, there was one that I have been recommending to people and it's a bit of a tangent because uh, I'm sort of a technology uh, enthusiast. And I also believe in uh psychology and how technology affects people's lives and how they take advantage of it. Um, and with all the talk about artificial intelligence and all the talk about how, you know, uh, the time is coming where the robots will build themselves and what that's going to do uh, and how that is going to potentially affect the different sectors of life and people's psychologies and what they want. Uh, I found this to be super intriguing. It's called Life 3.0. And it goes into uh, the background of artificial intelligence and all, all the players that have, you know, come along. Like, I, that's what I focused on when I was in college, you know, like five years ago. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, the focus at that point was the uh, airline uh, scheduling problem, keeping track of airlines. And that was like an artificial intelligence, <clears throat> intelligence challenge at the time based on the computing resources that were available. Uh, uh, but today, you know, obviously there's a whole different world out there and uh, how people are going to choose to take advantage of it. Uh, how some people would love it. Uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but the, where the technology just did everything. It just moved them from chair to chair and everybody was sat around their fat. And food came to them and they don't have to do anything. Uh, and then some people you know, uh, really don't cartoon. want that. That was a cartoon. That was a I cartoon. Was. Yeah. 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 To me, it, you know, it, it was a, that's one approach that some people might take. Like, oh, I love it. Let it take care of everything that it can for me. I don't want to do anything. And if I can get the robots to vacuum and, and clean the windows and cook my food for me, then that'd be great. And then there's, of course, all different sects of psychology. You know, you got people who are, uh, are more, uh, more religious, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, that, okay, well, there's some serious questions. If a robot makes a robot, where does God come into that? I don't know. Um, so you got, you know, and, and it, it goes into, you know, probably the top five or six different, uh, silos of how, uh, different personality types and different psychologies of how humans can take advantage of, of technology. So that was one I found very interesting because I, you know, being in the technical world, I think that, uh, knowing how some people adapt and what they want for technology and what they don't, uh, it has a, it has a role in how we design our solutions. Interesting. All right. I will look up Life 3.0 and then I'll look up the name of that movie, too, because it is not coming to mind right now. But I can picture it right now. Like I said, those people in those chairs being all moved around and uh, it was like some friendly robot and some human being who helped uh, save the day. So. All right, wonderful. Well, the, the recommendation that I'll make from a resource standpoint, join the RSPA, join the RSPA cannabis community, attend retail now, again, July 25th, 25th through 27th in Nashville, where we have a completely dedicated cannabis education track, four different sessions going all the way from 100 level up to the 300 level uh, for that event. So 
Wonderful. Well, that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope that you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and The Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Dan King and Stephen Bergeron for sharing their wisdom with us today. Gentlemen, that was absolutely fantastic. And thanks also to RSPA marketing manager, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening and goodbye, everybody.